0: Boys in the Hood, God's Father, this is Off the List. Hey, hello, welcome to this episode of our podcast where I'm holding my microphone in my hands because life is just that hard right now. Tables are hard oh, to come by. Oh, me too. Oh, wow, mean, look I've, at
1: us. I mean, to be fair, I'm always holding it in my hand because I literally right? live in a car, but, you know, I think it's a little bit of novelty that we're both doing it
0: this time. Yeah, I think it's kind of cute. Anyway, this is off the list. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the podcast where our budget is our hands.
0: Yeah, the podcast where our budget is um anything within arm's reach and that's about it. Um and if you're new here, we watch movies and listen to music. You'll find out very soon who introduces what. Um because we like that kind of shit. And hopefully you like that kind of shit and if not, I'm sorry, but also if not, please go do something else with your time. Like i don't know i just want better things for you okay Exactly All right. <laughs> this episode <laughs> this episode our movie is boys in the hood and our album is Lil b's mixtape is it the god wait god's the
1: god's father
0: the god's of father thank you because i keep wanting to say the godfather yeah <laughs> because i'm me mm-hmm. but it's the god's possessive father yes, exactly okay great which wow better um totally (laughs) more in line with what that is yes um yeah okay so to start we will start by talking about boys in the hood um just a quick preface before we delve into it i guess is just a general thing it was released in 1991 it's directed and written by john singleton um and it follows it follows a lot of characters but it mainly follows the character of trey who is a young boy who lives in crenshaw in california like mm-hmm. la and um it basically just paints a look at inner city life um in the hood <laughs> and um masculinity in the hood and what it's like to be from the hood living in the hood as a young person um just in general whether it comes to the school life relationships family that whole kind of thing particularly like in the time it came out so the latter part of the film is set in 1991 which is actually pretty important um so yeah um i could say a lot about this film if you're new here i wrote my dissertation partially on this film um for my master's degree which kind of makes the film hard to talk about without you know talking for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs but what i really want to know is ben what Mm -hmm. did you think of this film
1: (laughs) so this film right off jump gets the award for being the first movie recommended that made me cry
0: yeah yeah it
1: it really really hit me way harder than I expected it to you know
0: I've watched this movie so many times and I still cry every single time
1: yep yeah so I very much felt felt this film on a very deep visceral emotional level and in terms of how I feel about it I think it's brilliant I think it's amazing and any kind of minor pet peeves I had with it kind of felt more like stylistic to the era that it came out rather than the actual Mm -hmm. story that was being told Mm -hmm. Um, like this is very hyper specific but an example being that the ending they kind of use like Sentences put on the screen to describe what happens to the characters post film. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just kind of something that is like not my favorite, but it felt very like natural to the you know era of the film. But regardless, getting more into kind of the meat of the film, I found the character of Trey and the assortment of his friends and family and relatives and the way that every single scene managed to comment on a different facet of living and being black yeah was just mind-boggling like every single scene regardless of whether it was the choice of the clothes they were wearing what they were drinking what they were doing what they were talking about everything so subtly or just obviously made very astute and nuanced observations on the Black American experience, especially in LA in the 90s, mm-hmm. that it almost felt like something I wish I had watched twice before going to this podcast. I only had watched it once, unlike Mulholland Drive. And part of me wishes that I had watched it twice because there were so many things that felt so. It, it felt like every directorial choice was so soft, but at the same time, told so much and every character had such an interesting place within this universe that they painted and one other thing i'll add is i had never seen this film but i had seen films like moonlight and obviously listened to projects like good kid mad city by kendrick lamar Mm -hmm. and while watching it i just realized like oh this is the bedrock this Mm -hmm. film feels like the bedrock for so much of the black art that I have been enjoying as I've been growing up. And it was, it felt so interesting to have all these reference points, like the back end of the film felt so much like the song, sing about me, I'm dying of thirst. And the way that they jumped time felt so much like moonlights, time jumps. It, it really just felt like I was finally seeing the roots of a tree that has been so fulfilling for me my entire life and it just is also amazing that it moved me to tears because the story is so well done
0: so which part did you cry at <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh um,
0: or plural whatever
1: i definitely so i didn't think i was going to cry when when ricky died i thought it was really sad but when I saw the mom blame...
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, God. It just... Uh, oh, man. Yeah. I, 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 I broke Cube down. Ice I, the I, unsung I start... hero of this film. Ice Cube yeah. is
0: really the unsung hero of this film. No, he is, he is absolutely spectacular in this
1: movie. And yeah. what he does is so critical. But um, his name is Doughboy, Bo- correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, when the mom blames Doughboy for Ricky's death, I started crying. I, I It was... both my friends were in the room asleep it was 1 a.m and I was trying so hard to not ugly cry yeah because it was hitting me so hard and it was really hard because that is one of the most wretching scenes I've ever seen in a movie
0: so the I'm glad we're talking about this first because again it's just really hard to talk about this movie for me because I've talked I've nitpicked it to death and not in a bad way i still love every facet of it but in a way that makes it hard to talk about in a sort of um succinct conversation but the ricky scene it's ricky's death is one of those things that's like the usual suspects or um any movie that has a major spoiler that is like a commonly known spoiler because it's a commonly viewed movie, right? Mm -hmm. But in the sense that the movie could be spoiled for you because everyone knows this thing and it's always referred to. So yelling like, Ricky, you know, that is something that like I have heard people do as a kid before Mm -hmm. I've seen the movie as, because I didn't watch the movie until I was a teenager, I think. Um, And so I always knew that Ricky was going to die. And I I wish that I I wish that that hadn't been spoiled for me because in a way it's inevitable, Mm -hmm. right? Like watching the film now and watching the film as many times as I've seen it, it is inevitable, but it still hurts so fucking much. Yeah. (laughs) It still hurts so fucking much. And I think that that's, kind of one of the major points of the movie right is all of this Mm. shit is inevitable but it's none of their faults and it still hurts so fucking much and i think that that the way he depicts that the way john singleton depicts that is so just so palpable and strong and i think doughboy i mean that whole scene is crazy like for me Mm -hmm. like obviously like you like I didn't really cry when Ricky died, but as soon as they were like, cr- as soon as they were holding him, when Trey says like, protect his head or something like yeah. that, or like hold yeah, yeah. His, head, his head, I just lost it. Mm-hmm. I lost it. I was like, it was like the, the the nurturing of of someone that it's, it's like they haven't let go of him yet, you know, mm-hmm. and and not that they should because it had just happened, but the notion that they were still protecting some part of him. But yeah, anyway, I I just. It's it's so it's so hard to watch. And I think the character of Doughboy is probably the most telling character, and to me the most important character, even though he's not the main character of the film. Mm-hmm. Because he's the one who actually goes through, although it is sort of Trey's coming of age story, he is the one who actually he may not change as much. But what he shows, what he lets people see of him, what the audience sees of him changes yeah, the, as the film goes on.
1: Yes. The last monologue
0: –
1: it's not a monologue. It's a conversation between yeah. Trey and Doughboy is easily one of the best last scenes I've ever seen in any movie ever. It's the, phenomenal. The concept of tying every theme of the movie up in this one metaphor of the idea that after he has avenged Ricky's death and killed the people who killed Ricky and done so in what you would describe as an almost egregious or overly personal way. Mm -hmm. He wakes up incredibly early, which he says he never does, and he's watching a TV show about dangerous places in the world and wild places in the world, and there are all of these places in Africa and in Asia and in Russia. Literal and war zones. In war zones. And
0: he says, "What about us? What about us? Because what th- the fuck about us?"
1: <laughs> and that is one of the most. And then not only that to happen, for not only that to happen, but then immediately after that for him to say, "I don't have a mother. I don't have a brother." And then Trey to come in and say, mm-hmm. "You do have a brother. You have got you've got one left right here." I can't like.
0: I, I, was, I always cry at that scene, too.
1: Yeah, like, it, it is so hard to put into words, like, how perfectly written and how much the that phrase and all of it just ties together.
0: The phrase they either don't know, don't show, or don't care about what's going on in the hood is a phrase I will never forget in my entire life. It is mm-hmm. one of the most perfectly written sentences in a movie, I think, ever from that you know and given to the proper character as well which is i feel like lots of times movies have really great lines that would have been more effective if a different character had said them you know yeah and every choice that the movie makes is intentional and perfect and one of the things that i love about the movie besides the fact that it says you know okay so i to me i sort of break down the movie in terms of like a few major areas or plot points one is masculinity what is masculinity how does it the film you know sort of creates toxic masculinity in the beginning and then entirely breaks it down by the end right and a a big part of that is is furious who i mean furious styles besides having the most badass fucking name i've ever heard in my entire Mm -hmm. life is the like moral compass of the show in a way that should feel overbearing but doesn't And in a way that should feel preachy and is preachy. They even call him Malcolm Farrakhan's, but Mm. isn't, you know what I mean? And he is also so actually like low key liberal, you know? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, And that's
0: one of the things that I loved about the film too, is that it's so political without being effortly political. Like Mm. the biggest political statement they personally make is the sort of fuck you to Ronald Reagan in the beginning with the kids, which, isn't even i mean that's more of a it doesn't a, even feel that
1: controversial to say fuck you ronald reagan like if you're well if it you doesn't live because we're us af- yeah yeah exactly like it, I, I mean to say within like a liberal leaning circle fuck ronald reagan is like a is pretty universal
0: right but even more than that they're kids who are saying it right like yeah they're it, it was a 10 year old boy who held up his middle finger to the ronald reagan poster it's less about politics he doesn't understand politics it's less about politics and more about just like manifestations on your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the way the film is so incredibly political without beating politics, like over our heads to me is also a feat. So that's kind of one thing, you know, masculinity, politics, another thing that I think is really important. I just think it's so smart and really effective and really important is that the police, um, harassment that we see is from a black cop and Mm -hmm. it's from the same black cop twice and i think that that is really important and i have written entire pages about that and could speak entire pages about that but the sort of notion that um john singleton is saying is like i'm not unaware of the fact that you know basically shit is so bad in the hood and power has corrupted so completely that you there's there is no force that can save you anything that is corrupted or anything that corrupts corrupts completely and creates the sort of atmosphere of self-hating towards Mm -hmm. you know for black people in those positions particularly on the police force that is detrimental and toxic and so I think to include that while the white police officer watches it happen both times and just sort of stands there I think is really telling Um, and also to to have it be portrayed by the same actor to kind of know that these are kids who have had to grow up with these antagonizing forces their entire lives. Some of these cops, they probably know by name, you know, because they know that those are the ones to look out for and that they don't get any comfort from seeing a police officer who looks like them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so, you know, there's also that. Um, But I think the thing that really, really struck me about the film when I was analyzing it for my Uh, degree is the importance and the utilization of the first part and of showing the kids Mm -hmm. because it's pretty long. Yeah. And the film was released in 1991. This is the year that, um, that the Rodney King tape was released. And Mm -hmm. the year that Latasha Harlins was murdered within months of each other. And I think they happened months before or months after the film was released to set up for a 1992, the LA riots, right? That's the following year. And a lot of the riots, a lot of the footage of um, the riots actually were locations that this film was shot on or in. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's very much a product of the time. So why go back, right? Why start this film as kids? why do it you know you could easily make a really effective movie that (laughs) just talks about like teens to young adults you know what i mean like and so many movies do that so many movies start when they're 16 and talk about well life is hard life is hard here life is hard for me and my friends and it's hard to get out or get in or get around you know whatever it is that we're trying to do Mm -hmm. but the way that john singleton takes care of To tell you that this is not something that happens. These are not decisions that these adults and young kids just make. Like, these are not kids who are readily, normally prone to violence. They're not bad kids. They're kids who are robbed of their childhood and robbed of their innocence. And literally, there's so many scenes that should be so heartbreaking as heartbreaking as ricky dying you know yeah. the idea that
1: they say you know they have
0: that right well they have okay so they have a whole conversation about a shooting hap- a shooting happening and it's so normalized to them that they start talking about types of guns their brothers have and how they're so hard and they're so strong that they weren't afraid of gunshots as if being afraid of gunshots isn't the normal reaction right and then when mm-hmm. they go see a dead body their first thought isn't Holy shit, this is a dead body. The first thought is this dead body really stinks.
1: Yeah, as it if, really smells.
0: As if it's not like an insane thing to be walking past a dead body in your neighborhood. And then you know you cut to the posters that are on the wall, the drawings, the kids drawings that are on the wall in the classroom. They're not of castles and princesses and astronauts and whatever. Those drawings of our cop are of cops harming citizens of their older brothers and older siblings with their hands and like the hands up don't shoot position of helicopters like surveilling and basically circling over their neighborhood and police sirens helicopter sounds and lights these are all motifs are all motifs that are used throughout the entire film to show how inescapable this whole thing is and even when we escape it which is probably the reason why i'll push back on the the using the titles at the end, like the sentences at the end, instead mm-hmm. of actually showing what happened. A part of the reason why I think that's actually really effective is to show that even when you leave the theater, even though Trey makes it out, even though we have witnessed this whole experience, the cycle is still continuing. Yeah. Right. Like it will be going on forever because I mean, two that's, weeks later, that's what the boy m- is shot. Yeah. You Dill know. Bo-
1: I mean, that's why one of the final things is. Um, a phrase essentially that says like stop the violence or um or keep the peace like the 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 film ends on a pretty radical message of like reducing all of this harm that is happening
0: yeah and so i think what's what really makes the film effective to me and what really makes it poignant and smart but also equally heartbreaking is showing how these kids are robbed of sort of any opportunity and any chance and any like just childlike innocence to live a life and where that leaves them. But I also like that, although the film starts with a statistic about what people that annoy me would call black on black crime, (laughs) um, it uses characters like furious styles, right? To showcase or to tell you how it's not necessarily their fault. Like Mm. everything that is happening is a part of a bigger machine of capitalism and white supremacy and like the upper class. Right. He even makes a point of saying, you know, and it's kind of like this whole orchestrated conversation that can seem a bit like staged, like, you know, like staged when the old guys like, oh, well, they're not the ones lowering the price of the neighborhood as he's actually explaining gentrification, which like, Mm -hmm. wow, a movie accurately explained gentrification to me as a kid. How amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's like, it's not them that's lowering the prices of the neighborhood. It's the kids who are lowering the like the mm-hmm. you know, value of the neighborhood because they're selling their dope and shit. And he's like, we don't own planes. We don't own boats. How do you think shit got here? Yep, You know, mm-hmm. and so just arg- arguing against all of those, you know, people who could watch the movie and could come away with ideas like black on black crime, arguing against them within the movie itself. You know, it's just smart. It's just playing on all sides, you know. Yeah. While being so effective in telling a story and still being funny, there's still hilarious yeah. moments. Regina King in this movie is absolutely fucking hilarious <laughs> to me, and there are so yeah. many tiny moments that get me every time. Like this is something, that, this is something that I didn't catch until I watched it three times. When Trey, <laughs> so when Trey sees the guys after he's finally had sex with Brandy. And he's on the porch, and they're drinking 40s like they always are, and then they mention something. They like they're talking to him about it, and then Doughboy says something like "You finally like handled your business or something," and like tries to like dap him up. And in the back, you can hear Crisco peer pressure, man, peer pressure. Wait, no, I missed that. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> it's funny. Like, it's like literally, Ugh. like you. I'll I'll see if I can find a timestamp for you because it's so funny to me. It is so funny to me. Um wow. And like at the same time, like um, the character who wears the pacifier is like offering Trey mm-hmm. the, pacifier yeah, the pacifier, and he's like that, looking I, at I him. Like I definitely laughed at that. I definitely. Yeah, like like the whole that whole like thirty seconds is so hilarious it like and the movie has such like vibrant joyful moments too but you know they're always they're always sort of brought up by or like you know surrounded by these other poignant moments and they, i mean they feel there's just so many good moments. ones yeah, yeah. Like, like yeah
1: also another example that comes to mind is the first time they show that the one character is now in a wheelchair um they yeah use it, that's they use it where they they're so cleverly hiding his lower half while they're playing a game of cards after the time jump and mm-hmm. then in a moment of like excitement he like moves to go get something and he's in a wheelchair and you're like oh my god he's in a it's wheelchair. so well done but it's the so moment well is still funny but it, yeah it, it, it like it really conflicts you because you're like oh that was a funny moment but also at the same time they just punch me in the gut by showing that this person has been a victim to this violence and has their li- has had their life irreparably changed
0: yeah it's the the movie really could be broken into just like stellar moment after stellar moment you know mm-hmm. and although it comes together to paint a really intriguing and really impactful and just phenomenal whole to me it's whenever I watch it and I have watched it so many times it's always just the different moments that stick out to me like moments like that or moments like Um, The mom opening the SAT scores and finding out that Ricky would have would have made the scholarship Mm -hmm. moments like Trey having to get the the baby out the street. But then also kind of laughing at the fact that which is not it's not funny. It's really not funny, Mm -hmm. but it also is kind of played for laughs. Right. Laughing at the fact that the mom is like then asks to perform oral sex on him to get drugs, you know? Mm -hmm. And it is it's just like there's so many the 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 movie's just wild and it takes you in so many directions. And it just every single word that's spoken and every single frame, even the like cheesy dissolves between scenes. Mm -hmm. They're just all so well done and so effective. And I've talked about this forever and I feel like I've dominated this conversation. But really, I just really love this movie and if there's anything else you want to say or anything else you want to ask me about it i am here yeah. it's just really fucking good i i, I, I don't know <laughs> like I, I like
1: so much of what we watch is like really good but i feel like this seems to me like required for to be an american and to understand yeah the it's the really american important
0: experience. it's really important and it's really important without um without being a documentary. Like I feel like people only talk about movies this way when it comes to documentaries or something like that, you know. Um and besides that, it's just it's actually is a good watch. Like you won't be bored for sure. No, I mean <laughs> I started this movie
1: at midnight with the understanding that I was probably going to fall asleep halfway through and then like finish it in the morning. I just was up the whole time because it was that engaging. So this yeah. it's just an incredibly well-done movie that happens to also be required reading for every American so I will say that while the match in terms of black experience we are definitely going to the lighter side of black experience with this album and with this artist in particular which is Little B the bass god and I think if you are Any type of online person, especially if you have a Twitter, it's kind of hard to not know that this person exists, but his name is (laughs) Little B, the bass god, and he has an incredible cult following. He's been releasing just an absurd, absolutely absurd... It's actually insane. ...amount of music since the mid-2000s, all in mixtapes, and he has grown so popular... And so exponentially because he exists as a very oddball, weird MC who usually only does everything in one take and they're kind of nonsensical and he kind of sounds like he doesn't actually know how to rap half the time. And then he bu- bookends that with an absolutely absurd online experience. And the, the, tape we're listening to today is what i would consider his most refined tape it's Mm -hmm. way too long just like most of his discography but at the same time it feels utterly singular to little b it's called god's father and i adore this tape because it feels like the perfect listening point to engage with little b because it's him at a pretty refined point in his mixtape career it's him when the beats Are going really well the humor is still there even if it's a little bit less offensive than in some of his earlier eras and additionally the nonsensical nature of his music feels so captured in these 34 tracks which kind of hurts to say 34 tracks but 34 (laughs) tracks that you almost are okay with the length I'm not saying that you're always okay with it because I certainly haven't always been okay with it but there is something about him that allows him to get away with how long this <laughs> mixtape mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And there are so many highlights. I have a lot of very fun little b-isms to talk about during this, you know, section. But at first, I just want to ask because this is most importantly about the music. Nadira, what did you think about this music? What what did you know about Little B going in? Because as I said, it's kind of hard to not know about him, but not as many people have really listened to him.
0: Yeah, I've listened to a few songs. um, And really just, you know, we're talking a handful. I definitely never listened to a project front to back. So I don't think I had any impression of Little B as an artist in terms of making a complete project, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. More so as an internet personality or topic or meme. Um, but also, yeah, th- vaguely familiar enough with his work to get the memes and the yeah. stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, so that was my familiarity with him before. I hadn't any of the songs I listened to, I can promise you, were not off of this album or mixtape. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um but no, I, it's, I really liked it. I was like, this is it. This is this is lit. Um, I think in terms of it's giving. Mm-hmm. So it's giving, like, <laughs> okay, so this might sound really, really dumb. But it's yeah. giving the ego of Kanye West, but without all of the offensive, insufferable, annoying parts, and just <laughs> the good parts
1: oh wow whoa i had never ever thought about it that way but it kind of no it actually kind of links like it like makes that's a lot the of sense. energy yeah yeah because he's because like so much about what god's father is about like, like it, it, even i read this last week but i'm gonna read it again like the quote on the front of the album is little b is one of the most revolutionary artists in music all he has to do is walk and they follow but it's quoted from himself mm-hmm, and naturally as you said that like that's totally sounds like something that like Kanye West would kind of like conceive of or think of but when little b does it it doesn't feel insufferable it just feels funny It you like right. all you all you want to say when you hear little b say that is thank you bass god right bass god <laughs> I
0: absolutely love every fucking little intro and outro to every song on this mixtape where he introduces himself every time <laughs> yeah. as yeah. if I have forgotten for the past 28 songs who I've been listening <laughs> to but even then so they're all kind of different but they're all mm-hmm. so fun like some of them are sweet like some of them are like hey welcome hope you're having a good time and then some of them are like yeah. bitch shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and then one of them was about I think the bitch shut the fuck up one also had something to do with an, an animal or something I don't remember it's just yeah. well, why <laughs> it's it's it- really fun
1: If if I wanted to, I could dive into, like, every weird and questionable Little B bar that exists. But I think part of what kind of is charming about him and his music is the fact that he actually knows how to fucking rap. And he's very talented at rap. There's a really famous freshman freestyle where Little B was paired with Kendrick. And prior to it going in, everyone kind of thought, like, this is going to be really weird to have, like, one of the most influential, um, you know, and most talented in technical rappers in this freshman class go with little b who at the time had never released a single coherent rap song ever like every song that he would put out would essentially just be him mumbling or kind of freestyling all train of thought um james joyce would be jealous uh (laughs) on the mic and little b comes up to the mic right after kendrick and lays down bars and everyone is shocked kendrick is laughing his ass off because everyone's like holy shit this dude who would just wear these way too tight pink dresses and Mm -hmm. tweet absolutely ridiculous things Mm -hmm. which we're going to get back to can fucking spit and like then then the question becomes oh okay so so he's fully aware what he's doing with his aesthetic and with his presence and the intention of his music if he's able to actually make rap in like a more traditional sense and he's actively choosing to go against that then it's like oh okay so clearly he's putting a lot of thought actually into what he's doing here he's not just like kind of going up to the mic and being like i'm just gonna be dumb in front of the mic and get a weird internet culture because the internet's weird like no like he is so able to insert himself into the zeitgeist and it's so impressive the way he's able to do it
0: it's like a jackson pollock painting you yes. know, like everyone's like oh i could do that like this guy just splattered some paint on the floor but if you actually watch him because there's videos of him mm-hmm. creating his paintings every single splatter is so intently deliberate yeah. um that they really are one of one and kind of non-replicable um and so everything you're saying just reminds me of that the sort of like intentional chaotic nature of it all yes um no i really really liked it and i i do think that it lined up with the film more than i thought it would Mm -hmm. there's not any one song that entirely fits with the film but there are pieces in almost nearly every song that fit with the film yeah. Um, mostly lyrics like the song um is somewhere near the top, I think it's I think it's called like Fuck You Money or something, is literally a song Doughboy could write, like yep. is a song that Doughboy could actually write or would say. Like it's full of things he would say, and he's got a lot of great um, just lyrics that I thought connected to the movie. So I was like really surprised by that. Like I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: there was one lyric that was like um like most niggas funny but peace ain't laughing. God looking mm-hmm. down like nigga what happened and I was laughing because I was like this is this generation's <laughs> Marvin's Marvin gaze, what's going on but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was also just kind of like again relates to a theme of the film which I think is just a general mm. theme of like you know like if you're making an album and you're from the hood or talking about the hood like you're gonna have overlapping themes in your lyrics right at some point mm. um if that's anything that you're gonna be talking about that kind of fit with the film but no I really liked it I think um i really liked how not subtle it was yes like there's one song that's an Aaliyah sample that was literally just like the f- it's like a full fucking like like s- full fucking chorus you know like, it's yeah just yeah a- i know they, it
1: is he i will say this also i i think not enough people appreciate how good of an ear for beats he has because yeah. the beats across the project are all actually like there's not really a, a bad beat across the entire thing and I am so intensely critical of overly long albums and you need to understand that. Like I normally rip albums that hit like over the 40 minute mark when they really shouldn't be. Yeah. And I, I don't care that this thing is two hours long. Like it it feels like turning on and off your like weird YouTube video that you like watching occasionally and not really caring at what point you're in because it's just always funny, and it's always right. puts a smile to your face, and that's like what based means to him. Like there's been interviews where he's talked about like how based is all about putting this like positive mindset on things, and he kind of lives that out as much as a, a rapper could be. Like remember when he got jumped by NBA YoungBoy and PBN B Rock, and oh, yeah. he was he he got jumped by these people at Rolling Loud, and he I just totally tweeted. Forgot about- yeah, he got jumped and then he just tweeted, like, I got jumped, but like, you know, it's all love. Like right. I hope they're yeah. doing well. And every the internet just exploded because it, everyone was like, How do you jump the base god? Like, he's the most lovable fucking dude. Why ever. would you? And I think this is a good segue because we talked about I just talking about one of his tweets into a segment I would like to call Which of These Three Favorite Preposterous Little B tweets are your favorite? So I'm gonna read you I'm gonna read you three little B tweets. Yes, and I want to know your favorite, and I want to know why. Yes, right? and, and I think it's important to, to note this because this is one of my favorite parts about Little B's Twitter is that every tweet he signs Little B.
0: B. Yes, he does. Which, yes, like, he so
1: does. like after the actual like content of the tweet, it goes dash Little B. Even and though, doesn't like,
0: he also do the thing where every word is capitalized? Or um, no, somethi- sometimes. Sometimes. Oh, okay. That, okay, that's not
1: that's not hyper consistent, but okay. that definitely does happen. Um, even though, you know, his name is right above it. No, like, no, you have to know that little B is the one tweeting
0: this. Just like how you have to know that little B is the one singing or rapping to the song that you've been Mm -hmm. listening to for the past 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Hour and a half.
1: But all right. The first one is goth lives matter in all caps, goth emo cuties sign little B the second Trump towers eating breakfast. I'm the only young guy, all 60-plus seniors speaking Russian. I'm relaxed as well as golden, little B. And the third, hey, Dad, Pikachu is outside, (laughs) Sign little B.
0: (laughs) Okay, wait, I I need clarification on the first one. So the first one is goth, like, I just, okay, so I just want to read it. Literally just read it
1: like goth lives matter like goth as in like heavy makeup like right heavy right, black
0: right, right but does he repeat goth or were you repeating goth
1: he repeats goth goth lives matter exclamation point and then in all caps goth, goth. exclamation point emo, emo cuties. cuties okay
0: yeah that one's got to be my favorite um because <laughs> <So much laughs> as I <laughs> Something about the repetition of goth in all caps is really hitting me. Like, is really mm-hmm. sending me. Like, there's something about it that's like, in case you misinterpreted what I'm saying, like, goth lives matter emo cuties. Because first of all, they do. Second yes. of all, hot shit. And third of all, <laughs> like, third of all, like, it's kind of like, <laughs> so I saw, I saw this tweet recently that was like... <laughs> it said um, um 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 okay oh it said not all you bitches empathic somebody just lying because everyone <laughs> because there is this like well okay well i don't know if you guys know but it's kind of this mm-hmm. trend nowadays for people to be like oh i you know i cry all this time or whatever or i'm so sensitive or like mm-hmm. people are mean to me or i'm just super sensitive to people because i'm an empath and the street was like not all y'all bitches empathic. Some someone's lying. Like not yeah. all y'all bitches empaths. And that tweet kind of reminds me of this. Like no, not all y'all emo people. Goth, goth, G O T H. Yeah. Lives matter. Like emo beauties. Specific- yes, emo. <laughs> like there's a specific subset of people that I'm speaking to right now. Step mm-hmm. back if you do not belong. Exactly. Yeah. And, and
1: and another really funny part of his online personality, which I actually think did an incredible job of boosting his popularity was his curses do you remember his curses no so he is famous for when an athlete or an artist disrespects him he gives them the base god curse oh, and okay. when he does this so far no no one has recovered from it yeah it's like actually fucking like, worked out yeah like it, the most con- the most prevalent examples are he gave the base god curse to kevin durant when he um, made fun of him at one point, he said he didn't understand why he's popular. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder went on to lose a 3-1 series lead versus the Golden State Warriors, <laughs> immediately following the, that curse. And he only, and he said that Kevin Durant will never win a title until he lifts the curse. And it's actually what happened. He lifted the curse in the next season, Kevin Durant won a title. That's and so
0: funny. And then
1: James Harden got cursed. Oh, and thank God. James Harden also blew a 3-1 series lead and yeah, had did. Chris Paul get injured when yeah. the Bass God curse happened. That's so insane. all I'm going to say is if by some miracle Little B listens to this, thank you, Bass God. I really, really love you, and I l- adore your music. Please do not curse me. <laughs> I cannot put into words how terrifying that is.
0: Uh, yeah, please don't do it just because I would be crying forever, even if nothing bad happened i would just cry forever I don't want ew hate mm, not cute um no. <laughs> okay so Ben and I one of our favorite videos um is the the video of um Zach Fox doing cosine right mm-hmm. like the cosine video the genius cosine videos yes and so Zach Fox <laughs> he does basically like I forget what the category is but it's just like weird rapper it might be like location based
1: i think it's i think that he was his specific thing was like internet
0: internet rappers rappers? that's what i thought okay okay that's what i thought so he was saying that basically none of these people could really exist without Lil b like in the video Mm -hmm. he says that and i just would like you to elaborate on what he means by that if you could if you think you know
1: yeah i i think that's actually a really good point and Honestly, a great way to end kind of why he's so important, which is that when Little B was on the Internet, you have to understand really early in his career when he's putting out all of these mixtapes that were really getting so much of what you'd almost consider now as like cancel hate because like so many people flocking to them because they wanted to hate it. Mm hmm. Um, with his like flame mixtapes and then eventually his I'm gay, which was really offensive because uh, not offensive to gay people because he said it was in support of gay people. But then the hip hop community um, at the time and even still now is, is you know, not really very great with those issues. So oh,
0: Jesus, imagine like the fucking the shade room posts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was like it just like became this whole thing. And it blew up and everyone talked shit about him all the time, even though he was so positive. You have to understand that Little B really honestly like, never signed anywhere. He always operated in this perpetually left-lane aspect of hip-hop music that was so perennially online that the only way he got famous was first through non-hip-hop fans because the hip-hop fans hated his guts Mm -hmm. they said that he couldn't rap they said he didn't know what the fuck he was doing they said he was annoying and they didn't get this kind of like i'm gonna wear a pink white uh, like a pink dress that is like way too freaking tight and shows like every muscle i have and just walk around and all these like weird internet isms like these kind of just unexplained quirks that he pulled off were so ahead of the curve and so before his time that when he first started doing it no one liked him and Mm. when someone like zach fox says that like none of these internet rappers could exist without little b it's because little b created the lane little b said i can make it a career entirely off of being odd on the internet and creating a singular voice and from there all these other rappers have made their space by saying, like, I am particular, I'm unique, I have this very weird quirk. And even your favorite modern rappers do versions of this now, where they run entire campaigns or, like, attention grabs online. A really good one being Mario Judah, like, threatening Playboy Cardi that he was going to just re-release all of his songs recorded by him if he didn't drop the new album that happened this last year mm-hmm. like those kinds of attention grabs or even another good one is like Tizo touchdown running a campaign to get all the mid out of the streets like <laughs> like these things that rappers do That's now funny. yeah it's really cute actually i really like it
0: um like <laughs> and all his this... hair. we talked about his hair last yeah. episode he's becoming our unofficial like f- favorite part yeah <laughs> <podcast>.
1: <laughs> it's true i've got i love i love his personality so much but um yeah like these little like internet online campaigns about just being unapologetically weird in order to grab attention. They just, they didn't fly previously. Now when artists do this, everyone thinks it's great. Like, everyone thinks Mario is really funny, everyone thinks Mm -hmm. Tzu's Touchdown is cute and endearing. Or like even Doja Cat. Yeah, or yeah, even Doja Cat coming out with like, bitch, I'm a cow. Right. Bitch, I'm a cow. Like, none of this shit would have flied. Like, it just would not have worked. And Little B, the base god, said I will be the person that gets crucified in order for this lane to exist and now he's revered for it but it really is hard to put into words how much the hip-hop community did not approve of his presence when he first was on the scene and again like it it took years and years of this there's reasons why like Kevin Durant got cursed because he said he didn't get why he's popular it's because like everyone who's into that like kind of traditional hip-hop scene just thought he was stupid and it's taken so long for what has happened and what he did to catch up. It's literally over a decade for now. It's like, Oh, now what he's doing is like mainstream. So he really, truly created the internet rap lane more than any other artist that I can even conceive of. And for that, I just have to say, thank you, base God. Thank you base God.
0: No, I love your response. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is really important context people to understand and i honestly didn't know the answer to my question like i legitimately was asking did mm-hmm. not know because
1: yeah, um, zach fox said it and you were like huh i mean zach fox is with it's like with it so when he says something you're like that's probably right but why
0: exactly and that's exactly what i thought i was like oh i'd love to know more about what he means by this but also i don't want to seem like a lame-o and ask so instead i'll be a lame and ask in perpetuity on record um <laughs> so you know <laughs> there's that we will end this with
1: one last final thank you base god
0: thank you bass god
1: for next week yes now we are going to be moving into a genre that i have had a pretty contentious history with but have got grown <sighs> yeah. to appreciate lately and this album is one of the reasons why and it is 98 12 28 the live performance and the final performance of the jam band Fishmans, which were a Japanese jam band. I think that as a jazz musician, I've always had a very contentious relationship with jam bands, but hearing it outside of the American context of the Grateful Dead's and the Fishes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I got it and I understood it. And I think that this live album is a beautiful representation of the point of jam bands and i think that everyone should get that in some point in their lives it really is a beautiful genre it just takes some of their baggage to be removed to hear it and that's why i'm
0: recommending this album to you okay great um <laughs> no it's just i also i'm not the biggest fan of jam bands but then again america ruins everything like how they do <laughs> like electronic music so it's whatever um Mm. (laughs) like i'm inclined to believe you here's the thing and
1: then flying lows had to save it
0: well yeah exactly well black people created it and saved it but what the the fuck shit they did in the middle there not okay not um (laughs) not okay (laughs) Okay. um here's the thing here's the deal here's here's the the deal if i'm doing jam bands you're doing stoner movies no if ands or buts no if ands (laughs) or buts like, that is the trade off. That is the thing. So, I don't care if this movie fits well or not. I think it fits with the ethos of a jam band in America, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I also think, like you were describing, this is a stoner movie I particularly love. And I'm really excited you haven't seen it so that we could watch it on this pod or for the podcast. Um, because I think it, it does that same thing where it's like, oh, this is a way a stoner movie can be fun and hilarious and not entirely too annoying. Well, hopefully for you, because who knows without mm-hmm. it being a Seth Rogen film. Cause I feel like only Seth Rogen so far, at least in our day and age is kind of the person who can do that. Like super bad is actually great and actually funny, even though it's dumb. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but like, it's, it's not like other movies that are just kind of dumb all around. Okay. Anyway, Mm-hmm.
1: So there it is. You, uh, Super bad.
0: No, no 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 no, no, <laughs> <I'm teasing. laughs> no, 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 no. So you've already seen the best stoner movie to exist, which mm-hmm. is The Big Lebowski. For anyone wondering, go watch that. The second best stoner movie to exist is a little movie called Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah. I, I seriously have no
1: idea what this movie's about.
0: <laughs> Dazed and Confused is the first movie Matthew McConaughey was ever in.
1: Oh, I'm so excited! It is is the movie that is this where the meme comes from, where it's like as they get older, I get younger. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. I'm so in. I'm so in.
0: It's also the film that birthed his like all right, all right, all right thing. Like (laughs) this is literally the star vehicle for Matthew McConaughey, but also despite him or beside him, it's just a really fun, really hilarious coming of age story. But it is undoubtedly. A stoner film, and I fucking love it. Um, so that's your choice, or Wonderful. my choice for you. That okay? That's very exciting.
1: Wow, the, man! Every week the picks, I I keep waiting for one week, like you to recommend something and me to be like, ah, cool. Like this will be a homework assignment, but like never. I'm always just so excited. That has been Little B, the base god, the god's father, and. Boys in the Hood. Off. Off the list. The list. And honestly, to be an American required listening for both. That's all I'm saying.
0: I co-sign that. <laughs>
1: of all the things all right. I co-sign.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. And don't forget, Cole Sprouse and Lil' B are the same person. No. Okay. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. Cut, 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 cut. <laughs> Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes.